Welcome back to Behind the Study, the podcast from the Institute for Hospitality and Tourism Research. I'm your host, Brian Reback. Today's highly requested guest is Dr. Marion Joppa. Dr. Joppa's stories and experiences speak for themselves when I say that her career is truly extraordinary. In this interview, we'll talk about how she created her own opportunities through research, the lasting legacy she has created within the Ontario tourism industry, and why the influence of politics is so important for tourism operators to understand. Get ready for a half hour filled to the brim with wisdom and insights on Behind the Study. My name is Marian Joppa. I'm a professor in the School of Hospitality, Food and Tourism Management at the University of Guelph. And uh, uh, Ryerson was actually my first faculty position. I joined Ryerson January 1995, stayed for eight years. And then Guelph came calling because they needed a director that could help them build a, a research uh, focus for the faculty as well as develop the tourism component that had recently been added to their curriculum. They were known as the uh, Hotel and Food Administration uh, program, HAFA, very, very well known in Canada, but tourism was new to them and uh, their faculty was not, not strong. So anyways, that's why I left Ryerson, left all my colleagues. Um, and uh, yes, uh, miss them all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and at Guelph, um, is the, the hospitality and food, is that separate from the tourism stream or can they do it all? When yeah, there? no, we, we had separate majors. It's, it, there's been a lot of evolution. So we had separate majors for hotel and food. So we kept the half as a stream and then tourism management. And um, increasingly, students really blended things because I find it always very arrogant for us as professors to say, we know exactly what you need in terms of courses when you graduate, when in reality, the industry and the world are changing so rapidly. And students choose so many different directions. We should be hesitant to dictate uh, a curriculum. And so we we made it more flexible. You now have concentration. So students take the introductory courses to all three of the streams, food, hotel, and tourism, to give them an overview. But then they, they can choose which area they wish to pursue and, and where they want more depth. And we've also added sport and event management a very, very strong uh, sport management that is just being developed. Uh, we probably have two of the, the top people in Canada, both now at our, at our school. And the food component is not just food service. It's also the, the B2B, the business to business component. So the supply chain component. I now really want to focus in on, on you and who you are. If you could 
as, as briefly as possible, because I know you've had a very long, illustrious career, I, I'm wondering if you can kind of sum up who you are as a researcher, as a professor, as a, as a tourism professional. How would you describe yourself? Oh, dear, that's a tall order. Um, I am uh, a, truly one of the, the, the very first in Canada to have studied tourism at a university level. Um, when I started out, and gosh, we're going back many years, but I started university in 72, so it gives you some idea. There simply were no programs in Canada anywhere. Um, so I really had to forge my own way. I've always known I wanted tourism. Uh, didn't really know what it was called. Today, in hindsight, I would say what I was interested in was tourism planning, um, and, and the policy development that precedes tourism planning. Uh, but I did not have those words in those days. And so ended up taking recreation and leisure studies at Waterloo, which in and of itself was a brand new program. Uh, I was only the third cohort going in. And the professors were very understanding when I explained to them what I wanted and allowed me to basically uh, tailor all the assignments to topics that related to tourism because they had no tourism courses, right? And so um, that notion of figuring out a path through a system that exists, but that really doesn't know how to accommodate you has kind of followed me for most of my career. And so I've always had a foot uh, in the practical, in the applied side, and a foot in the, the research perspective. Uh, but I'm certainly not what you would call a traditional academic by any stretch of the imagination. You've uh, been able to strike, I don't know if you would say perfect, but that balance between the industry and academic side. How, how have you managed to, to do that? What's been the process of, of getting that balance? Well, uh, again, that started while I was still at Waterloo, and um, I had seen a job ad for a tour escort in the Rockies. And I thought, oh, what a wonderful summer job. And applied for it. I was interviewed. And the, the gentleman that interviewed me finished the interview by saying, uh, I would love to be able to hire you, but I'll never be able to hire you because you're young and a woman. And my jaw dropped to the floor. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, uh, in our bus tours, we have largely older people, sort of 55 and older um, that, that are on these bus tours, many of them women, uh, widows for the most part. And he said, and what they really want is a handsome young man that reminds them of their son that caters to their needs. And a young woman would never be able to do that. And I was horrified at that statement. Not uncommon in those days, right? Um, discouraged from many jobs because of it. But I went back to my professors and complained bitterly to them. And one of my professors gave me the best advice ever. He said, why don't you do a research project that opens the doors that you would like to walk through? Use the research to open those doors. And I did. 
and the CEO of that company that wouldn't hire me because I was a girl um, was actually open to the interview uh, and spent two hours with me, showed me the whole operation. It was one of the, well, it was the largest tour operator in Canada at the time. And after two hours of all of that, that he spent with me, he said, is there anything else I can do for you? And I said, yes, you can tell me where to send my resume. I was hired. I spent my time as a tour escort. They hired me to be a tour representative in Mexico um, for a period. And so it opened that world, that practical world to me, if you will. And at the same time, because I struggled so much trying to find my niche in university, I had made the decision that I needed to go for a PhD at some point in order to be able to help that next generation. Because all the professors that were at Waterloo were all imports from the US and, and from the UK and, and there were just no Canadians. I said, we need our own generation. So my decision to go for a PhD was, was again, formed very early. In these degrees and, and beyond, what were some of the projects that you got the chance to do? And how did they go in towards defining your career? Well, uh, I did my dissertation, as I said, by that point in time, I knew a little bit better what I wanted. So it was the whole policy planning aspect and um, uh, looked at different political systems and how they treated tourism. So everything from very liberal systems, and at that extreme was Germany at the time, uh, which kind of didn't look at tourism, they were so liberal. <laughs> and then um, sort of the, the, the countries that had strong tourism interest and, and some policies in place, and then uh, state control, which was Cuba. So wow. I had that whole range. I visited all those countries. I talked to their uh, senior bureaucrats. I, I looked at their legislation. Um, luckily, by that point in time, I also had Spanish, so I was able to read a lot of it. Um, and, and that essentially gave me my dissertation, my, my strong background in policy. Um, and once I graduated with the PhD, it also became clear very quickly because I wanted more industry experience that anywhere I, that I applied, they were scared off by the PhD. They sort of said, oh, you know, you're looking for what is largely sort of a not quite an entry level, but a low level position because I didn't know anything. So I wasn't going to go for, you know, senior management. Um, and they said, you want this low level position um, with, with your background, uh, you know, are, are you really going to be satisfied? They were very concerned. And so um, I decided to take on contract work for banks, uh, for doing feasibility studies, for, you know, cities looking at demand, can we have more hotels, that kind of stuff. I worked for another bank that developed uh, resorts. Um, and these were social tourism resorts uh, that are, are very um, collaborative between the municipality, between an association of some kind, uh, where the municipality provides the land, the association builds, uh, uh, companies will, will reserve 
rooms for their staff, for their for employees, for their vacation time. And so that's how they pool the money in order to build these resorts, very special uh, in, in France. And, and then the OECD came knocking. And the OECD, uh, as you might know, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, one of their subcommittees is a tourism subcommittee that basically looks at the policies in the various countries. And the aim is to, to the best um, possibility, harmonize political directions in tourism. And they do this for all sorts of other sectors as well, right? Trying to harmonize legislation across the world. So we're kind of moving all in the same direction. And they, the secretary of that committee uh, went on maternity leave. And so I stepped in one year contract, replacing her um, and uh, leading the, the committees that, that met twice a year, doing the publication on policies. So that sort of really set me up in this world of, of tourism. And by that point in time, I had decided it was time to come back home. Um, my, my mother was getting very antsy. I'd been out of the country for about <laughs> 18 years. And she said, you're never coming home. Uh. Uh, I had my uh, first daughter by then um, and was expecting a second child. And so uh, it was time to come home to Canada. And uh, so again, looking for jobs, um, consulting work, I did get an offer, very interesting offer, but I, and that was senior. And I said, no, because I actually don't have the connections in Canada after all these years, and at a senior consultant level, you should be bringing clientele and contacts. Um, so I, I instead accepted the offer from the Ministry um, of Tourism at the time, Recreation and Sports was, was part of tourism in their development branch and uh, loved that job. So I was their, their senior policy person for tourism development in Ontario uh, under the NDP government because they had just been elected. And that was very um, empowering because they were willing to do a lot of things, including in human resource development. Now we're talking the late 80s when the industry was screaming for labor the economy was was overheated and they couldn't find workers for love nor money. And the ministry didn't want to deal with it because they said, oh, my God, we don't have the resources. This will suck us in. Um, we don't want to do it. And I said, I will, because this is the single biggest need of the industry. I'll take it on. And so ultimately, I helped the industry set up what is now known as the Ontario Tourism Education Corporation. That is now a standalone organization still doing a lot of the necessary training and professionalization of so many of the jobs in our industry. Um, but then we got the Harris government, conservative government, and it was all about cuts. And I, I'm a builder. I'm not a cutter. So... I looked at that and I said, no, I got to get out of here. This is not my future. Um, and, and I moved out. I moved to the Waterfront Regeneration Trust 
and took on the Committee on Tourism, Recreation and Economic Opportunities along Lake Ontario uh, and, and helped build that whole Greenway strategy um, at the time. And then Ryerson came calling and as they say, the rest is history. Yes, it certainly is. And, and then, you know, over 20 years later, you are now continuing to, to teach, right? And yes. inspire the next generation. That's, that is so fascinating, the, the types of places you've been. How, how has that informed your, your work as a professor and teacher? What has that um, allowed you to, to bring for, for students and, and in the classroom? Well, students are usually in for a shock when they take my course, because uh, I do teach that intro to tourism course, because I force them to actually become aware of politics mm. and follow global geopolitics and how it impacts tourism. And the usual answer from students is, oh, we hate politics. This is so boring. And I keep telling them that there isn't a single thing they can do in their lives that is not influenced by politics in one form or another. And I tend to give them the example, which you may not remember, uh, but we had the um, Walkerton uh, water crisis where uh, in that little town in Ontario, the, the water was polluted with E. coli and uh, practically half the town got very sick and quite a number of them died. And the reason that happened is because the Harris government with all of their cuts had also cut the Ministry of Environment that was doing the inspection of smaller water treatment plants. And so mm -hmm. the government's response without ever wanting to hurt tourism, but the government response in order to restore people's faith in uh, drinking water in Ontario, made the decision that anyone that wasn't on municipal water could no longer use well water, even though it would have been treated. They had to have a small uh, water treatment plant on their property which at a, at a minimum cost $30,000. With a stroke of the pen that took out any business that was farm related, you know, the, the farm visits, the, uh, the kids' zoos that you have, the pick your own, the uh, farm stays, um, you know, artists that, that live out in the country and may have a studio to allow people in because the minute you had public coming onto your land, you needed a water treatment. And so the industry was aghast and it happens again and again and again. So you better start becoming interested in politics and in what's being planned and what's on the agenda and think about how that will impact your business. It's very important, something that probably not a lot of people, as you've, as you've experienced, probably don't realize how, uh, how interdependent this tourism is with politics. Yeah, and that's, that's sort of the message that students yeah. get from me, um, literally from the day they walk into my classroom. And I start all <laughs> my classes, regardless of the level I teach, what's been in the news that impacts tourism? Yeah. And they have to 
scrounge around the world. We learn about <laughs> China, we learn about South Korea, India, you name it, because it, it's all interconnected. Right. Was there, a, was there a moment that first opened your eyes to that relationship or, you know, interconnectedness that kind of set that in motion for you early on in your career? I grew up my, my childhood in, in Germany and my father always took us for summer vacations uh, four to six weeks down to Italy. And Italy, even in those days, was already uh, overcrowded because the development was very haphazard and, and uh, lots of people came to the beaches and, and it just wasn't developed. And so these, these pieces that were available were just swamped. And local population was kind of put aside. Italy was very poor in those days as a country. Um, so you had what you would now see in places like Mexico, you know, the, the beach sellers, and, and that's about it, trying to make a little bit of money off the tourists. Um, and I didn't like it. I, I, I didn't know why, but I just didn't like it. And from there, that observation, uh, we traveled quite a bit. My, my father took us to a lot of different places. Um, and, and when we came to Canada and traveled here and in the States. And, and so I always observed what was happening. And by traveling to many different countries, you start to see similarities and differences as to how things get handled. And the fact that most governments really don't give tourism uh, much much attention, even when it is an important industry in their country, because they see it as, as low paying, low skilled, uh, you know, not, not very sexy, um, and, and therefore something to be dismissed. Instead of realizing that in all societies, you have people that have lower education, lower skills, uh, whether your own population or immigrant population. And these are actually ideal jobs for people like that to earn a living. They couldn't find jobs in other sectors. The only other sector might be agriculture, and it's worse than tourism when it comes to pay and, and working conditions. So, um, you know, if you think about it properly, you sort of say, okay, let them, because we hire a lot of these frontline people, let them hire them, and then have the companies actually put in professional development programs so that people can step up, become supervisors, you know, move, move on, um, do that on the job training that so many of them don't get because of socioeconomic circumstances. In their, in their home countries. And, and so tourism can be a, a very useful tool if it is done right. The interconnectedness between who has the power, where are the corporations, where are they located, and how do they wield that power? Right? Because they get a lot of these poor countries to put in airports just for the tourists. The local population doesn't need it. They get them to put in these enormous cruise terminals, huge expense, right? That does nothing for the local population mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. they just sort of swarm in and at the end of the day, they swarm back out 
And yes, there is a little bit of, you know, souvenirs that have been bought and sold, but overall it does very little for the country. And you have to ask yourself who benefits. Just bringing us to the last sort of section of this interview. I always like to hear from people to uh, who the people are in their lives that they've worked with or interacted with in some manner um, that have influenced them the most and have really defined how their career has has uh, progressed. Is there any people or organizations or projects that have really been pivotal for you? Well, certainly uh, going right back to the professor that gave me the advice about using research to open doors I wanted. Mm -hmm. I, I owe a huge uh, debt of, of uh, gratitude to uh, Ken Balmer. Um, because that that's really that was the start. Um, I owe a, a huge debt of gratitude to David Crombie. You might uh, remember him. He was uh, Toronto's mayor once upon a time, nicknamed Tiny Perfect, uh, <laughs> because he got such a high uh, approval rating and re-election uh, vote. And okay. he led the Waterfront Regeneration Trust when I was working there for a year and a half. And his whole style, his whole collaborative style uh, was eye-opening because we're talking consultation all the time and most consultation is a farce. He, his consultation was real. Um, his committee leading the waterfront uh, regeneration trust and the greenway strategy spanned 50 people all the municipalities along uh, the lakefront all of the utilities all of the major employers everybody was part of his steering committee steering committee with that many people and he got them, even though some of them wouldn't even talk to each other because they were neighboring communities and hated each other for whatever minor discretion, uh, stupid stories. But they wouldn't talk to each other. They would talk to David Crombie and say, would you please tell so-and-so that I think what he just said is, is whatever. I mean, it was just ridiculous. But he managed to get them to have a common vision. And that was inspirational. And in my tiny little way, that is what I always try to achieve. Uh, building true consultation where you listen, you listen far more than you speak. To really hear what people are trying to tell you. And not just go in with your own ideas of how things should be and, you know, what, what the research says and, and, and what the theories say. That's all fine and dandy. That's great background. But you've got to hear the people, mm. hear their concerns, hear their ambitions, their dreams, and then see how you can help them realize it. You can't do it for them, but you can help them. Uh, shape it themselves. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed every moment of that conversation with Dr. Joppa. 
I told her after we wrapped up that I wish I could have spoken to her for many more hours. With such a rich career, she has countless stories and lessons to share. Behind the Study is produced by the Institute for Hospitality and Tourism Research at Ryerson University's Ted Rogers School of Management. Follow us on LinkedIn, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at HTM Research, and visit our website at htmresearch.ca. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. Goodbye.